Hey, folks, it's a Sunday. That means it's time to jump into the Ben Shapiro Show mailbag. Reminder, you actually have to be a subscriber over at dailywireplus.com in order to have your question answered in the mailbag. All righty, folks, let's jump into the mailbag. Carter says, does anyone have a chance to beat Trump in the primaries? If so, who do you think is most likely? How do you think they'll win over primary voters? So my answer is basically no. If anybody does have a chance to beat Trump in the primaries right now, it is probably Nikki Haley. The reason I say that is just I'm looking at the data. The data right now suggests that Nikki Haley has a shot at winning New Hampshire. She then moves on to Nevada. In Nevada, she's not even on the caucus ballot. So the caucus is actually the place where you win delegates. She is on the primary ballot, but Trump isn't on the primary ballot. So she, quote unquote, splits Nevada. Then they move on to South Carolina. Now, she was governor of South Carolina. There's a possibility, however remote, that she performs really well in South Carolina. Now, do I think that that is going to translate into a nationwide campaign? The Nikki Mentum is real? I don't. I think that Donald Trump is likely to sweep virtually all of these contests. But the problem for Ron DeSantis, who, again, is my favorite candidate in the race and the guy I would have voted for if the primary had been held today in Florida. The problem for Ron DeSantis is he doesn't have a path. In New Hampshire, he's polling at 4%. In South Carolina, he's running currently behind both Trump and Nikki Haley. And then after that, presumably Trump will have momentum and Haley will have momentum. And DeSantis, where, which states he can do the best in? Right now, he's trailing Trump in Florida, for example. Carter says, what do you make of Nikki Haley and the idea of Trump winning the moderates by making her VP? So, you know, when it comes to, you know, VP candidates, I think that VP candidates are typically designed to basically fill the holes that your candidacy has. And for Mike Pence, Trump had vulnerabilities among evangelicals. Picking Mike Pence allowed Trump to actually fill that hole. With Nikki Haley, presumably, there are a lot of people in sort of the moderate wing of the Republican Party who are not super happy with Donald Trump. And they might be more warm towards someone like Nikki Haley. It doesn't make a lot of sense for Donald Trump to double down on somebody like Kerry Lake because that's just more Donald Trump than Donald Trump. So just on a political level, picking Nikki Haley might make some sense. Now, there's a lot of talk about that alienating some of the more isolationist members of the party and all of the rest. Look, bottom line, everybody's going to come home. I really don't think there are going to be a lot of people right now who are protesting Nikki Haley or going to not vote for Donald Trump because they're so upset about Nikki Haley, the VP pick. I think that's, that's overwrought. Okay, Kyle says, How do you know what the founders would have considered a legitimate religion? In episode 1870 on December 15th, you said with conviction the founders would not have considered Satanism a religion. How are you so certain? I'm not saying I disagree with you. I do want to understand this point better so I can fully articulate it at Christmas dinner when my sister's leftist boyfriend will be joining us who told me on Thanksgiving that he is, in fact, a Satanist. Okay, so there is no, the, the, the notion that the First Amendment protects every single religion is not correct. Again, the, the First Amendment was not meant to protect every single quote-unquote religious practice. The free exercise of religion was meant to encompass a certain number of religions, but not necessarily every single religion. So there's a good piece in the American Conservative that points this out. See, religion is defined in Samuel Johnson's 1768 Dictionary of the English Language as, quote, virtue as founded upon reverence of God and expectation of future rewards and punishments. The Dictionary in Britannicum, published in 1730, defines religion as, quote, a general habit of reverence toward the divine nature by which we are both enabled and inclined to worship and serve God after that manner, which we conceive to be the most agreeable to his will for that we may procure his favor and blessing. So it was about God and it was specifically about the fulfillment of duties we have toward God. So early jurisprudence limited First Amendment protections mostly to Christian denominations. So it is possible, theoretically, that polytheistic faith is like Hinduism might fit the definition if you suggest that a plurality of gods is, in fact, an attempt to worship God, the creator. But how would that actually include Satanism, which is a full-on rejection of God in favor of God's opponent? That would certainly be a very weird constitutional take. 
Caleb says, is it ever okay to lie? For example, if my wife cooks an awful dinner, it's better to tell her it's good and keep the peace. If she's gained a bit of weight or I don't like her dress, does a little white lie hurt anyone? Uh, you should lie. Uh, you should tell a fib under those circumstances. Again, a lie with the goal of presumably keeping the peace between husband and wife is much more important than telling the truth about whether you think that she's gained a couple pounds. By the way, let's be real, gentlemen. The reason your wife is asking whether she gained a couple pounds is because she knows she gained a couple pounds. Making her feel bad about it isn't going to solve the problem. Right? Like that, she, she's, she's just looking for you to say that, she, that you still love her even though she gained a couple of pounds. No woman has ever lost weight and then turned to her husband and said, does it look like I gained a couple of pounds? Okay, the, the same thing with, with regard to dinner. I mean, you should tell your wife that you enjoyed the dinner. Now, you can also say to her, you know, honey, I like it better when you cook X, Y, and Z the day after. <laughs> but in the midst of the thing, is it a good, smart move to somehow tell your wife the truth that the dinner stinks and it's awful and she cooked it horribly? Probably not, at least not until you've been married quite a while. You know, when it comes to, you know, a lot of these kinds of interpersonal questions, there are times when you're just going to gloss over the truth for, in favor of the relationship, and that's a good thing. Lying in public, however, is a different matter. When it comes to politics, lying is really bad because there it is not about the personal relations with the people involved. There it is about public policy that affects everyone, and that's why I find political lies to be so pervasive and so wrong. Michael says, I wanted to ask about your take on Alex Jones. I'm certainly with you in regards to his behavior. He's not careful about what he says. I think he makes an ass of himself a lot. I find fascinating that he is right about so many things long before the rest of the world. From organ harvesting in China to Jeffrey Epstein's island to the Bilderberg Group to the NSA spying on Americans to animal-human hybrids, he was right about all of it but deemed a conspiracy theorist by everyone. Well, I, I don't know that that was the reason he was deemed a conspiracy theorist was about like Jeffrey Epstein's island. Uh, again, the, the sort of notion that if you read all the Reddit threads and find all the conspiracy theories and all of the crazy stuff, that some of it won't be true. I mean, some of it presumably will be true. My question is the hit rate, right? The question is, do you follow the data or do you lead the data? Now, there is a lot of money and fame to be made in making speculative cases that X, Y, and Z will happen. You make a prediction, and then if it comes true, you're magic, you're a prophet. There's an old scam that happened in the United States, and it was actually outlawed because it was very effective. And here's how the scam worked. Let's say that I would, I would predict next week's football games. Pick one football game from next week, right? And then I would send to 1,000 people a piece of mail predicting the winner. Half of them, I would say it was Team A, and half of them, I would say it was Team B. And then one of the teams would win. Let's say it was Team A. There are 500 people left who now believe that I can predict the game. Then for week two, I would predict another game. Okay, again, Team A and Team B. And for 250... I would send team A. For 250, I would send TB. And I would do this over and over and over again. Eventually, you'd end up with a subgroup of people who'd have like five straight picks that were correct. And they would think I'm amazing at predicting things. Well, in the way that our current media works, predicting a thing and getting it right counts for like 100 points. Predicting a thing and getting it wrong doesn't really damage you at all. And so the more outlandish your claims and the fewer people who make that claim, if it turns out to be true, you're going to get outsized credit for making that claim, even if there are 75 other times where you made crazy claims that turned out not to be true. That is my generalized problem, aside from, you know, sort of the abusive language and the, and the insane ranting at people and all of that. doesn't mean that Alex Jones is always wrong. He's not always wrong. He said some stuff that is, that is right, because pretty much everybody has said some stuff that is right. So I think that Alex Jones is like extremely perspicacious. Is he someone that I would trust to pick a stock portfolio because I think that he's so right so often? I mean, not really. That doesn't mean that he's, that he's wrong always. I'm sure there are cases where he's been right and I've been wrong. I mean, that happens. The question is percentage. And how much can you trust 
that the information that you are being given and the data that you are being given is actually data as opposed to that sort of speculation that one time in 50 is going to hit the mark and bang, all the cash pours out of the pours out of the uh, the machine at the casino. All right, we've reached the end of this mailbag. So we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 